0: Hello everybody, welcome to the recording of our first ever live Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction podcast. This is a recording of an event that was held at the Museum of Cambridge on the 23rd of May. It's a bit different for us. You'll hear there's lots of weeping and cheering and ooing and ahhing uh, along the way. The topic of the day was the Society for Psychical Research. So you'll hear a bit more about that when the episode itself gets going. You'll also hear there's some mention of slides. We did have some images, a first for us. If your podcast app has the power to show you chapter artwork, you should be able to see the slides as you go along. If not, I'm going to put them all up in a blog post on our website, ruthistranger.co.uk, so you can see what we're talking about there. I'd like to say again, thank you so much to the Museum of Cambridge for hosting us. It was a really brilliant event um, and they were wonderful hosts. It's a brilliant place So please do go and check out the Museum of Cambridge, find them on Instagram, have a look at their website and have a visit if you can, if you're in the Cambridge area. We're hoping to plan another event with the Museum of Cambridge later in the year, probably around the time of Halloween. So do follow us on Instagram, Ruth underscore is underscore stranger, and you will hear any updates about that. You can also find the Museum of Cambridge on Instagram as well. I hope you enjoy this special live episode of Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Welcome. Um, Thank you all so much for coming. I hope you will enjoy this today. It's the first time we've done a live podcast event. The podcast's been running for about two years now. It's about all kinds of strange goings on around East Anglia. We talk about ghost stories. We talk about folklore. We've had some gruesome murder stories as well. So we try and look at a kind of a range of interesting, weird histories from the East Anglian region. And today... As we're in Cambridge, I'm going to be talking about a Society for Psychical Research. It's a massive topic, so I'm just gonna do a little bit of an introduction and focus on a few of the people that had Cambridge connections within that kind of huge remit of the topic. Um, so I'm Ruth McPhee. I am, as I always like to say, the eponymous Ruth from stranger than Fiction. And I'm joined today by my lovely assistants, Katie Holliday and rosie o'donovan so they're going to uh sort of interject and add some shout about eels shout about eels we
1: officially know nothing on the topic they know very little (laughs) or about eels but (laughs) you will
0: you'll bring the the questions the audience want to ask perhaps we are the every man on the
1: omnibus
0: exactly (laughs) so so let's get started the Society for Psychical Research, which I may be describing um, from now on as SPR, because it's less of a mouthful Mm -hmm. to say each time. Now, I'm going to start by assuming none of you know anything about the Society of Psychical Research. you start. Um, and, uh, And take it from there. It was founded in 1882. Uh, It was actually founded following a conference in London which was called to talk about the possible ways that things like the paranormal, the supernatural, what they called parapsychology, how could these sorts of things be investigated in in a kind of fruitful and intelligent way. And three of the founding members had really strong links to Trinity College Cambridge. The original remit of the society focused on six areas of investigation, what they called thought transference, which um, is now more commonly known as telepathy. The so Jedi Mind trick. The Jedi Mind trick? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I guess that could come under that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that no, <idea>. For those <laughs> of us with <who's> no knowledge of <laughs> whatsoever. Um that would be, you know, transferring communications just through the power of Jedi mind trick. <laughs> Jedi mind trick. <laughs> isn't beer, Jedi Mind a trick <laughs> Isn't that um, moving things? I don't know, I don't Uh, know. I I feel like these people don't know anything about Star Wars. I know about it from ball rats, not actually watching a Star Wars movie. (laughs) So, telepathy, that's the first area. Mesmerism, which again, more commonly, we would call hypnotism. Mm -hmm. Mediumship, which we're going to focus on quite a bit today, and mediumship is um, communication with the dead via um, the figure of the medium who acts as a kind of intermediary between, between worlds, between realms. Mm-hmm. This next one, I feel, has sort of fallen out of favour a little bit in the modern world. Um, Reichenbach phenomena, uh, or also known as odic force. I'm sure you'll know none the us <laughs> <laughs> with that. Um, and that's the idea that um, energy fields exist around certain things, so magnets, metals, crystals. That's true, though, isn't
2: it, though? Yeah, I mean, that's actual science, not <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose that's, not the the that's, that's, yeah. passed, that's
0: passed into actual science, mm. perhaps, mm-hmm. um, and is no longer known as Odic Force, <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs> and then apparitions and haunted houses. So that's classic ghosties, ghoulies. Yeah. And actually, in the 20th century, I think... The Society for Psychical Research, some of their most famous cases were to do with haunted houses, Borley Rectory, they investigated the Enfield poltergeist as well in the 1970s. So that kind of came to the fore a bit more during the 20th century. And then also seances, and we'll talk a bit about that as well later on. So the the whole idea of the Society was that they would look at these things from a scientific perspective. They want to kind of focus in on like, what can we prove? How do these things happen? Why do these things happen? Can we explain it within the science that we already have within our grasp? So they're investigating, they're not selling tickets? They're not selling tickets, no. no. Some people might be selling tickets.
1: (laughs) These things were all happening and they're like a research group. This is Cambridge. They're a research group. They come together and they've done their outline and they're going to test it. Sort of. I mean, I think initially it was a bit more open than that in that they thought there's
0: all these areas that, that no one's really looked into in terms of um, scientific methods like empirical observation, mm-hmm. uh, taking really detailed sort of notes on these things. So they just thought we want to bring a kind of scientific rigour to the study of these parapsychological or paranormal goings-on.
2: And do you I think, think th- they were trying to do, to prove that they were really happening or were they out to prove it was all nonsense? A good Master question. or Scully? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I yes, will. I think they were, they were mainly Mulder.
1: I don't
0: know which one. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, we'll see, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more, but I think actually the founding members, they, they genuinely thought there was something to it. And what they wanted to do was, was to, to prove that, to, to show how that could be explained, and to, I suppose, get, get rid of the naysayers who yeah. said this is all yeah. nonsense. I mean one of, the, one of the great paradoxes actually of, of the society is that they started out really from this position of wanting to show how we could understand these phenomena and they kind of ended up a lot of the time as debunkers of the mm-hmm. phenomena that they were investigating so it was this kind of probably for them a, a terrible disappoint- a disappointment really they, they, s- they would start out thinking right this one's for real This time we're going to, you know, we're going to get the evidence we need. We're going to explain all of this. We're going to show how it happens. And mostly that, you know, that didn't prove to be the case.
2: That's really sad. (laughs) <laughs>
0: dreams? well let's let's see you know we'll we'll move on for now so i <laughs> don't want to start on a sad note move on um, from
1: the broken dreams.
0: let's have first a look slide. first slide let's have a look at some of the founding members so the slides sorry it's a bit of an awkward angle but this is just to give you a bit of a sort of a glimpse of some of these these figures henry sidgwick good beard yeah. amazing beard great beard and really kind eyes
2: yeah. Hmm. I say <laughs> until his
0: dreams are crushed I say
2: harrowed
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and Henry Sidgwick was, he was the first president of the society uh-huh. um, and he'd actually already formed a bit more of an informal group called the, um, the Sidgwick Group at Trinity and they would get together and discuss the, all these ideas of telepathy and hypnotism and things like that and that was kind of the, the germinal seeds of this society as it came to be more formal we also like Sidric because um, he was a really strong advocate for letting female scholars into Cambridge. Um, he played uh, quite a big part in the formation of Newnham College.
1: Nice.
0: So he was a kind of a good advocate for um, for women, and his wife <laughs> Eleanor was also uh, a really um, important figure within yeah, well. the early society as well. So him and his wife were this kind of this team of these two figures who were really strong and were really interested in in this new study. I
1: wonder what her beard was like.
0: A <laughs> <laughs> lustrous. So speaking of. Um, more, more beards. So the next member of the, the society, uh, John Malkovich. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not John Malkovich, of course. Uh, this is uh, Frederick W.H. Myers. He was also um, a student at Trinity. He was a classicist, but also a poet. That's why he's looking so brooding in his picture. Exactly, like, that's such a poetic picture, on. isn't it? Yeah. And it was, he, it was Myers who coined the term telepathy. He was the first person to use that term mm-hmm. for what they'd previously called thought transference. Much snappier, mm. yeah. much better. He authored a number of books on paranormal and potentially psychic phenomena, including Phantasms of the Living and Human Personality and Its Survival After Bodily Death. So really about like spirit, spirits. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. Um, and by all accounts, Myers was quite a genial fellow, but he was known also as a little bit of a rogue. Um, he you can had see that. Look at him rogue. though. He's got kind <laughs> eyes. He had quite a lot of lovers, both male and female, in his youth. So he was known as a bit of a kind of a man about town in that respect. He got into trouble for plagiarising some poetry. He was awarded a kind of prestigious poetry award that was later then revoked because he'd been found to plagiarise something like 25 lines of poetry.
2: He's a proper cad and a bounder. <laughs> and that was,
0: that was described as a, a foul blot
2: on the, uh,
0: on the record of Trinity College.
2: <laughs> he didn't care, though. He just put on his hat and went, <laughs> went <laughs> off round town. Yeah different
0: facial hair coming up. Okay. <laughs> so the third member who is... Oh. <laughs> that, that is much more of a response than I was expecting. <laughs> so this is Edmund Gurney, again uh, educated at Trinity. He was a psychologist and a parapsychologist. As you can see a very fine moustache. The writer George Eliot, yes?
1: Question about ha- the moustache no the eyebrows <laughs> uh, Parapsychology. <laughs> yes by putting power in front of something mm. what does that, does that that was mean? really um all these
0: things like telepathy and hypnotism the things about the the brain that we didn't understand yet really okay. so how to start thinking about i suppose if you think of like physics and metaphysics and metaphysics is the kind of bits we it's beyond what we already have the abstracty thing. So it's the bits that we don't yet quite... Like paranormal, you know. Yes.
1: Outside of the normal.
0: Okay. Outside of normal psychology or understood psychology. The writer George Eliot apparently met Edmund Gurney during his life and for days was talking about how he was the handsomest man she had ever met. Mm -hmm. Uh, And apparently she based Daniel Deronda, her hero (laughs) of her novel, on um, Edmund Gurney. And he was a very kind of... Seen to be a kind of really altruistic, kind of a, a nice a nice guy. Like a, quite a lot of the members who joined the SPR in the early days, um, his life was quite marred by tragedy. And in particular, three of his sisters drowned in a terrible accident in the River Nile, in a, in a boating accident. And actually quite a lot of the members had these awful tragedies in their lives. Um, Frederick Myers, his cousin's wife, committed suicide. And it was it sort of... I guess we don't have proof, but there's a lot of speculation that Myers was having an affair with his cousin's wife, Annie, and she committed suicide, and this was a terrible tragedy for him as well. And I think you can kind of see out of that how people would want to...
2: Desperation. Yeah.
0: ...believe, or, or just wanting the kind of the desire for there to be something else... Mm-hmm. Yeah. ...after yeah. these tragedies have happened, yeah. I think.
1: And certainly, like, very alive to but all the ways that you can experience... Someone's personality Mm. outside of their physical body, you know, like Mm. you know, sort of imbued in things, and you're probably quite, probably quite alive to that.
0: Looking for signs um, that somebody might still be with you in some way.
1: Now he looks sad under his
0: jointy eyebrows. <laughs> you have to remember that they had to sit still for quite a long time for this. <laughs> so you're not going to be sitting there like,
2: <laughs> not like the modern
0: day selfie. It's just a, a snapshot. They, you know, they had to pick a pose that you can stay in and hold comfortably for a, for a few minutes. And he did. He did die young. He died in his forties from an overdose of chloroform. Um, he was found in a hotel in Brighton, where he'd been. Um, he was doing some research in in Brighton into a group of men um, uh, and questions to do with hypnotism and stuff like that. But he he took he was known to take chloroform as pain relief because he had a facial neuralgia, which is like horrible like pinpricking pains or like pinching pains. But it isn't known whether or not he intended t- on this occasion to. to an overdose or whether or not it was just uh, he misjudged it and it was an accident um, if you're interested in that side of it there's a book called the strange case of edmund gurney by trevor c hall and he talks at enormous length about the uh, about the details <laughs> surrounding edmund gurney's death and there's a, a you know a letter that was found in Edmund Gurney's possession that hadn't been posted, and Trevor Seahaw gives like a huge importance to this letter as like a key to you know, did something nefarious go on around this around this death? But we'll we'll not really ever know for sure.
2: That sounds like someone should make a film of it. I know.
0: I mean, this holds this whole lot. Mm. I'm amazed no one's made a film of all of this stuff. So they're three of our founding members. Various finenesses of facial hair. They had, you know, slightly different areas they were interested in studying, but over all of them were really keen to start getting to grips with this, um, the strange goings on. But why did it form at the time? What was the context? for the formation of the society. That's what we'll talk about next. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Victorian Britain. Chimney sweeps. Chimney (laughs)
2: sweeps.
0: Chimney sweeps, sure. Any other, any other thoughts? I could do the step inside
2: dance, but it's not gonna
0: really. A lot going on in terms of philosophy, in terms of science in terms of the general ideas that were sort of flying around in all directions. Wallpaper.
2: Yes. <laughs> very good. I mean, that was classier
0: than mine. Of
1: <laughs> Did they, were they particularly good at wallpaper? Yes. Yeah, A yeah t- they t- loved t- it. very dark, mm. dark and floral. <laughs> that sets the scene <laughs> for us. Outside of the domestic sphere. Mm
0: -hmm. Wallpaper aside. Empires. (laughs) Science was coming along in great leaps and bounds. Um, If you think kind of mid-1800s, slightly later, but The Origin of the Species was first published. Grey's Anatomy, not too many years before. All of these kind of huge discoveries in terms of science and in terms of how we understood the world, Mm -hmm. how we as humans related to the world around us. And this, of course, was a really exciting time because so many new ideas were coming out there, so many new discoveries were being made in terms of science, but also kind of a, a, I think a time of anxiety probably as well, because that's obviously disrupting a lot of the older ideas that people had been kind of happy with for.
1: We're
2: in academia, I imagine. Well, I know I think, didn't they also have that whole thing about, but like scientists versus religion, it's like, um, it was all shocking if you've got all these new discoveries like evolution and then um, it's gonna be. It was a challenge to the established order. A lot of these ideas so
0: it's sort of a a time of of excitement but a time of uncertainty Mm -hmm. if you like as well a time of transformation and actually at this time as well a lot of what we might call interests or areas of areas of study uh, were kind of getting formalized in a way that hadn't been the case before. So, things like botany, anatomy, physics, meteorology, all these kinds of things went from being things that, that the intelligentsia might study mm-hmm. to subjects that were being taught in universities. There was mm-hmm. a kind of really big expansion in terms of rather than just having an interest in something, you would go and study it, it would have a canon, it would be formed into a, a discipline as opposed to a kind of area of interest. And there were also, a lot of societies were forming, so the Royal Society for Meteorology, the Royal Society of Astronomy, the Royal Society of Physics, of Chemistry, all these kinds of things. It was all working to really formalise what had before been a bit more of a disparate,
1: yeah. What did it look like before? Say I'm interested in something, how did I find out about it? Did I just, did I do it? Did well, I you to might people? join yeah. a club.
0: Rather than a society. Rather than a society. But the the societies were sort of getting rural charters. So you might might just, if you were in the privileged position to have the time and the money and the education, you would read and read and read. You would discuss uh, all these ideas. But it wasn't necessarily in such a formal setting which would then go on to say, right, this is what we're looking at. We're going to do research papers. We're going to do publications. We're going to, you know have conferences, that kind of thing. So this was the beginning of all that kind of trajectory of academia. Mm -hmm.
2: And I guess was there more money as well if you join a society and it's backed Mm. by people and it's got a royal charter and stuff? Then you're going to get money to fund your adventures
0: yes also which we'll come back to what this formalization of these disciplines did was actually as well as providing opportunities for some people excluded other people Mm -hmm. uh, particularly women Mm -hmm. so we'll talk about that a bit a bit more about uh, the idea of the female medium but actually uh, women who previously could have spent time doing all of these pursuits in a kind of a hobby-ish yeah, kind of a in way. In their clubs. In the clubs or, or at home or you know whatever, found that they were shut out of membership of these formal societies. Not of course the Society of Psychical Research no. because they had lovely Henry Sidgwick at the helm and so <laughs> his, his wife and Maya's wife later were parts of the society as well. It also saw the rise of spiritualism during this period. The Victorian period. What do you think? Why do you think this might have come about?
2: Because things were bleak. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Things weren't too bleak.
2: I would have thought it would. There'd always been been
0: a bit of an interest, but again, it it kind of had like an explosion of interest.
2: Is it new Um, technologies are going to be able to tell if you can photograph things? mm. It's more exciting. You can pass it on.
0: Yes, it's a lot, a lot to do with that. I think it's, it's. I think it comes out of this, as I said, this kind of uncertainty, this sense of change. That, that was happening in society at the time. I think also if you imagine a concept like gravity, or if you think of something like photography, even, to take a kind of a simple example, the things that... To, to look at a photograph, imagine the first time you see a photograph. Witchcraft. Exactly. So, so something where before you've had paintings or drawings and, you know, artists capturing these likenesses, to go from that to a photograph, which is a perfect representation of what you can see, that would blow your mind. Terrifying. So if you think that there were all these sort of new technologies, sound recording as well, that were able to do something that nobody could have really possibly imagined to be possible before, then you start to think, well... Plus, early sound
1: technology is really spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's lots of of echoes in those picks and pops, aren't there? So I think that... <laughs> yeah no wonder they all those ghosts of oh. us <laughs> <laughs> the old houses were also spooky
0: <laughs> creaking again a lot creaking. Of, soot as you said everything's quite dark and, voice, uh, like sinister. It's the but yeah I think that, that just a lot more things seemed possible and they thought well if we can now use science to do this or to explain these things which previously we had you know no way of explaining beyond say religion or god but now we're like, well, now we know that gravity is the result of forces. And I don't know about gravity. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I'm sure someone, 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 someone a scientist, do. So, you know, you think, well. This is Cambridge. This is we Well, you, had, you know, reports of a, a sighting of a ghost. You would think, well, maybe we can explain that yeah. through science. Maybe there is something that we don't quite yet understand. But in the same way that we've understood that we've managed to explain previous things, Mm. we will be able to explain these. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it just kind of gives the context for that sense of possibility, if you like, for what we might now think, well, this seems absurd. They thought, well, a lot of things that seemed absurd have now been explained, so... And it's um, my image captured on paper, and the whole world is exactly, made of witchcraft. Yeah. So we're all doomed. <laughs> <this. laughs> exactly. Um, and I do. I think, as you say, Katie, the 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 sense of um, capturing things mm. as well. So having a photograph that seems to show a ghost, or having a sound recording where you're like you can hear what might be the voice of a, a spirit in the room or something.
1: I imagine there's also in times like more medical interventions and perhaps i know i know that there was a lot of child mortality in the victorians mm. i know that and wallpaper but i mean previously in, in history i imagined that death was as as common as life you know mm. like there was very very high mortality mm. in all cases but i suppose as things start to improve then those deaths become different mm-hmm. and you know you hang on to people longer you hang on to their mm-hmm. things longer you know I, I imagine that that's also something that and were, makes the sense of mm-hmm. people's presence different
2: they were the ones who were into grief as well weren't the Victorians
1: the culture of mourning yeah
2: they liked it all I think the you know, I mean, different dresses. Yeah. I'm wearing this grey and this grey. And I something. think
0: also that was the royal setting the trend, if you like, mm-hmm. because yeah. um, Queen Victoria was in mourning for so many years after Albert died. You know, she was never she was wore black for the rest of her life, and she and that um, kind of set like Kate Middleton with her funny collars, and everyone <laughs> starts. I hate those collars. <laughs> <laughs> Just, <what laughs> are the colours?
1: Just like little the little strange, sort of sailory type yeah. lacy sailor things. Um, I didn't know that was. Kate
0: Middleton.
1: Queen Victoria
0: <laughs> by uh, <Kate> <laughs> But, you know, I think the, the trends came from um, a higher mm. society and then, and then yeah, that yeah, became, yeah. because Queen Victoria was kind of stuck in this, in her own grief, that trickled down and that became this kind of culture of, this huge culture of mourning mm, as yeah. a whole. So I'm talking a little bit uh, in the next bit, drawing um, on a book called Supernatural Entertainments, which is by someone called Simone Natali, Italian. Mm -hmm. And he says that the start of the Victorian fascination with spiritualism can actually be traced to um, New York, 1849, so about 35 years before the society formed, and the Fox Sisters, which was three sisters. I like them already. Name of Fox. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) And the Fox Sisters held in 1849 a public seance in Rochester, New York where nearly 400 people paid a quarter each to attend and they watched as two of the Fox sisters, Margaret, 16, Kate, just 12, seemingly demonstrated their ability to communicate with the dead. And this was in the form of tappings. They would ask questions and then mysterious tappings would be heard.
1: That is a money spinner though.
2: Through the room. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 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 Do you want to try it later? That's a hundred dollars.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that was sort of the first, Natale records that as being the first incidence of a kind of a public seance on this scale. And then the kind of spiritualism swept the the Western world, if you like. So America, Europe, uh, the UK, all these mediums started to appear who were like, well, we can actually, we can do this too. We Mm. can communicate with the dead. We can act as an intermediary between you and your lost loved
2: ones. Um, most of them
0: women? <coughs> quite a lot of them were women, but not all by any means, So mm. there were male spiritualists as well. But there were women, quite a lot of them, and a lot of the most um, high-profile and well-known spiritualists uh, were women. I think that it's partly to do with the way that women had been excluded from the more formalised developments of the time. And also because if you think of the, the sort of stereotypical idea of a séance, That we think of in a Victorian parlour—it's a domestic sphere, Mm. and that's you know that's the women's place, if you like. That was seen as being where women should be, was within this domestic sphere, not necessarily in public life, but Mm -hmm. performing these seances in a kind of enclosed space, if you like. I think there was also an idea that the stereotypical traits of femininity almost predisposed women, they thought, to being able to perform these, these kind yeah. of acts.
2: Hysterical, like to wear purple drapes. <laughs> 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 A bit fainty. Well, said, yeah. Well, yeah, fainty. So,
0: the, yeah, that kind of the idea of irrationality or of empathy, of women being much more, you know, sympathetic and in tune with their mm. feelings, actually that meant that, that, that that's quite suited the idea of the medium and it quite suited that role of a communicator and intermediary and kind of sympathetic
1: character. I used to do seances in my attic. Did you? Who with? Just about four or five of my friends from school. I thought this for a moment, it, I was
0: <laughs> imagining you with like your dolls. Just, just in your yeah. I thought it
2: was worse. It's I thought response. she was going to say customers. I we're going down a dark route. They
1: so paid a penny each to come yeah. into Rosie's attic. You know what? I was trying to uh, ingratiate myself into a modern comprehensive school that was quite new. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> seances. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. I had uh, a long skirt from a jumble sale and um, a Gideon's Bible and a fluffy old toy dog that we used as a sacrificial lamb. I don't know. I think you've
0: muddled a lot of pieces
1: together. There. I was only about... 12, 13... Mm. Did this ingratiate you with the cool kids at school? Yeah. It would have worked for <laughs> all of us, cool let's face it. As you see.
0: <laughs> to clarify, no sacrificial lambs in no, the, uh, in in the fact, Victorian In fact, do- so. not even the
1: cuddly toy dog came to much harm.
0: No. Well, it can't. No. <laughs> or can it? <laughs> so, I think let's link it to what you've said I can do that I can do a link so I think um, one of the the really interesting points that Natale makes which again is maybe not quite how we think of seances now certainly there was an element of people wanting to speak to their their loved ones who had passed away so if you like there was that element of passing someone's palm with money and then they would help you communicate with your loved ones who had died but also for a lot of people it was a form of entertainment so it wasn't necessarily these kind of these sad figures, these desperate figures, just saying, "Please let me speak to my mother or whatever." It was for some people, it was it was like a fun night out. Yeah, you know, they I were like, that. "Well," or a group of a group of society lady would gather together and say, "Oh, we'll you know pay." pay a spiritualist to come round and we'll have a, you know, a fun no. seance. And then well, um, if
2: you've excluded them from all the academic societies, where do you mm, want them to go?
0: Yeah, so I think it's it's important just to, to think that that was an aspect of it as well, that it was a suspension of disbelief, if you like, in the same way that when we go to the theatre or the cinema, we, of course, we don't go to a Marvel film and, of yeah, course, yeah, believe yeah. everything... Is perfectly true but we suspend our disbelief for the time that we're watching that film in order that we can enjoy it and it's kind of escapism yeah uh, and it long offers a, a just a glimpse of something a bit different from our daily lives long winter evenings such evenings City yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's interesting and i think also as katie said earlier the fact that It kind of tied in with a lot of these new media technologies as well. So there was like the excitement of having something a bit different happening. What's my next slide? I feel like this is going to relate to it. Yes. (laughs) One of the ways in which spiritualism intersected with developing technologies was spirit photography, which was the idea that you could capture a ghost or a spirit so you might be sitting in a room you don't know it's there that it's there with you but a photograph taken can prove the existence of that spirit and this was taken by um, a man called William Hope who did was kind of known for these spirit photographs this is a particularly I think kind of spooky and evocative
2: one
1: love it this is this is
0: Very Shakespeare's sister, yes. And this is from the 90, early 1900s, this picture. And actually, William Hope was later investigated by the SPR and, I'm afraid to tell you, discovered <laughs> <laughs> um, to be a fraud. So double exposures was a, a classic way that, yeah. they, that they did this kind of thing. But photography wasn't widely understood at the time. So, again, we might think, of course, we can see that, how this would be done. But for a lot of people, they wouldn't have that knowledge of, of the medium of photography. I'm still scared. <laughs> <laughs> and again, yeah, people probably just enjoyed
2: mm. looking at it mm. for the kind
0: of the thrill of that, of that kind of spooky atmosphere, that fear. I think also, again, thinking about the way that, that sort of science and religion was changing. it, was, it, it not, It's not a religion exactly, but if you think of it in that you're like, well, this is something that we have believed in or this is something that we believe, we believe in life after death and we believe in the spirit world, people are like, this is something we can observe. This is something we can prove. We can have evidence of this. It's not just about blind faith. It's Mm. actually something you can say, but look, we can prove it. We've got empirical evidence that this has happened and that this happens. And yeah. that must have been quite a kind of a appealing mm. idea. So, to some extent, something not too far from the scientific model of empirical observation was already built into spiritualism. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, you can see how the society thought, well, we, this is something we can measure, we can record it, we can investigate it, because the groundwork is kind of there, Yeah. if you like.
1: Did he do a lot of this then? William
0: Hope. William Hope did quite a lot. Was that his real name? <laughs> yes, that's. It's a, you think it's appropriate? Well, I just. Yeah. To be hopeful. Yeah. One of the um, the people that William Hope photographed was a scientist called William Crookes. Uh,
2: <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I hadn't thought about these names before. <laughs> And William Crookes was actually... He was a brilliant scientist. He was a kind of groundbreaking scientist. Uh, he had a hand in things like kind of early X-ray, light photography, um, science, that kind of thing. But he was... He had a belief in the, the spiritual world, and William Hope took a photograph of Crookes, which purported to show Crookes's wife mm-hmm. in the photograph with him, his deceased wife. And Crookes kind of completely bought into this. So it was, you know, it, it's not just that this is idiots buying into this Mm. you know this is people who are incredibly intelligent they saw enough evidence that they wanted to believe in this as well but
1: when hope was doing when when he was debunked like did he went oh it's a fair cop i was really like (laughs) (laughs) it was he what was what were his intentions do you think do you think he was trying to fame Mm. money same old same old yeah Mm. fame and money attention
0: yeah, I don't know that much about William Hope, to be honest. I don't know what his background was, so I don't know if for him it was a route out of, of poverty to do this. But um, I know with, with some of the female mediums we'll discuss, it was it was like a route for them yeah. to a better life, yeah. actually. And it was a way of of making money, and it was a way of gaining fame and a certain amount of power mm, that, yeah. that they wouldn't have had otherwise.
2: And better than like, if your other options are, you know... Domestic or prostitution mm. or something, or acting, or I don't know. That, maybe awesome. not. <laughs> the terrible world of acting. <laughs> yeah,
0: so, so a lot of the early work of the, of the SPR actually did end up being to disprove mm-hmm. a lot of these things, because a lot of them didn't hold up to scrutiny, I'm afraid to say. So once people did start looking into them... Oh, um, dreams
2: are crushed.
0: Their dreams yeah. were crushed. Just to give you a couple of, of examples before we talk about Eusepia, who I want to talk about later. In the 1880s, so soon after their formation, um, the SPR published a report on Madame Blavatsky. Have you Excellent. heard of Madame Blavatsky? Or Helena mm-hmm. Blavatsky. Um, she was one of the most famous mediums. Mm-hmm. Of the time. Well, now I think I've heard of her. Now that you've seen now me. that you know how famous she <laughs> is. I'm Are you sure? That. Then we we go, oh you yes, yes,
1: yes. Madame When you said Madame Bovril in the pub. Oh
0: <laughs> 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 Rosie's psychic name is Madame Bovril. We've yes. decided.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Except that it turns out she really was doing so. <laughs> <She laughs> no,
0: really yeah. The report on Blavatsky was a sound debunking oh. Uh, oh. by <laughs> Richard Hodg- Hodgson, who was one of the early members
1: of the group. Early debunkers. <laughs>
0: Some years later, they also um, looked into the case of Eva Mm Carrière, who was a French medium. She was also quite a high-profile medium, partly, I think, because she used to do séances sometimes in the nude, Mm -hmm. so that's going to get you some attention. (laughs) She held séances along with her partner and lover, uh, Juliette Bisson, and she as you see here, was able to materialise ectoplasm,
2: or so they, so
0: they thought. And she would, the ectoplasm would appear around her head. Apparently, once from her nipples, the ectoplasm seemed to come. The ectoplasm would appear in the shape of hands, of heads, once in the shape of a penis, uh, the ectoplasm.
2: Hers is a bit of an X rated seance. Yeah. Yeah. Her seances yeah. were X rated. I mean,
0: and I think certainly with her, with Eva Carrier, you can see how that element of voyeurism that was kind of implicit, I think, in a lot of these seances mm-hmm. was like right out there on the surface. I'm
1: starting to believe more about this being something that people would just do for a fun night out. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the equivalent of a Hindu. Yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> well, maybe Many a Many Maybe that I've this been on. Ectoplasm's quite different to what I've learnt from Ghostbusters <laughs> how to say tell well, me about your thoughts on ectoplasm. Ghostbusters is uh, you know green slime, slime. dripping wool I don't yeah. know it's not a jaunty hat <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's but when you're saying like things are like body parts appearing that's quite different than yes using yeah the and and
0: the idea was that that was the spirit who was in the room with them was beginning to sort of take physical form so when a, a hand would appear or a face would appear that was the spirit beginning to materialize in the room and it was through the powers of the medium that that materialization could take place shall I materialize Rosie's going to (laughs) materialise us. So we have been doing some ectoplasm of our own. (laughs) I read that often they might use cheesecloth or muslin to create these ectoplasmic forms. (laughs) And this is the face of Eusepia Palladino, who was a medium, who has joined us today. (laughs) And actually... I don't know if you can see, but here's her face yeah. in here. And actually Eva would materialise faces in the ectoplasm that would form around her body. And these faces were later discovered to basically be cutouts from magazines that she was just sort of shrouding in, in cloth. And then in a darkened room, only lit by candles, these faces would appear kind of ghostly in the darkness. Rosie told me last night she scared her partner <laughs> by yeah, <like laughs> appearing uh, appearing Eusopia through a window and oh, wow. enjoying a concert. We've got a
1: little she's on hand. A, she's on a spoon.
0: A little ectoplasmic hand
1: <laughs> that you can see. Make it twitch. Oh. Oh. Oh.
2: <laughs>
0: So, if you think that um, they they would have been experts at sleight of hand, so they were able to, not in our clumsy way of just, but um, they would have you know sneaked these things out and and materialised them into the room. Would have been dark. I did wave my arms around a
2: minute ago in okay, case either of you wanted to try a sneak. But I just <laughs> like, like, really excited
0: about Ghostbusters. The scene would be set by a, a kind of a somber mood of Not the, the medium bust. would, you know, roll back her eyes and would maybe speak in tongues or would would set the scene in some way. What they would sometimes do to try and prove that the ectoplasm was real was put a lace or mesh over their faces to show that they couldn't be it couldn't be coming out of their mouths because they were. Yeah. It had lace in the way. Let's have a look at another. Oh, wow. This is a male spiritualist. We had a little thought of to try how hard is it to materialize ectoplasm out of your mouth. So we've met. <laughs> Let,
1: Let's see. A lot of cheese. I, I haven't
0: I haven't studied sleight of hand for my entire life so I can't do this very nicely but let's see. I'll I don't So hey. I've, I've, I've sprints it with water. I tried doing it dry. It's impossible.
2: <laughs>
0: so I think, you know, that would have been obviously much more expertly done. That would have been the, I kind, that of was a, uh, <laughs> the kind of method by which they might be able to pull off you know, they would hide fabric yeah. somewhere yeah. on their person and then would be able to... I mean, this looks terrifying. Having had this tiny bit of fabric in my mouth, I don't know how this would have worked. But uh, anyway. I think
1: he's just... I mean, that can't have come out of his mouth. He no. must have just... Did it he have, it up Do you know what? From... He would have, like, whooshed it across like that and then, like, slugged the corner in his mouth. And then... Like, sh've on all ugh. Ugh. So, yes,
0: ectoplasm. Not slimy like we thought. <laughs> But, but quite sinister. <laughs> Rosie did sculpture at Central Saint Martins. I think, I think we can all see that here today.
1: <laughs> Not many <laughs> well <said. laughs>
0: So um, Blavatsky and Carrier debunked. Oh. Debunked.
2: Oh. Um,
0: but let's look at you say Pierre Palladino now. Who was particularly of interest to us because the trials that the Society of Psychical Research carried out into Eusapia took place at Leckhampton House, which is now uh, part of Corpus Christi College and is sort of that way. <laughs> that way? <laughs> Leckhampton House was the home of Frederick Myers, our poet, our foul blot plagiarizing <laughs> poet. And the house was built for him and he lived there with his wife, and the trials of Eusapia took place at Lett House. So, a bit of background on on Eusapia Palladino. She was Italian. She was born into a poor family of farmers in southern Italy and was orphaned at the age of six and was then sent to live with a slightly better-to-do family in Naples. Oh, Eusapia. (laughs) (laughs) Always judging. (laughs) Around the age of 13 or 14, her mediumistic abilities began to emerge. 13 or 14? It's yeah. an interesting time age, isn't it? The yeah. onset of puberty is quite mm. often the time. She would give demonstrations to her friends.
2: <laughs> she was just, she just moved to a new place, she wanted to meet people! <laughs> <laughs> it all become so clear now.
0: She said that a man named John King was uh, speaking to her, that was her spirit guide. And it was John King, she said, that would, would help her communicate with other spirits in the netherworld and would uh, kind of guide her to perform these various astonishing feats that took place at her seances. by the time she did her experiments with the spr which was in 1895 she was considered this is a quote from someone called marina warner from a brilliant book called phantasmagoria Eusapia was considered the most famous materializing psychic of her age mm. materializing all sorts of ectoplasm
1: and how old was she now now i mean <laughs> i mean <laughs> How
0: old you? By the
2: time of... Uh, yeah, the, when she was... She you know, was about
0: 40. Oh, by so the time the, the Society of Psychical Research came to investigate her.
2: Did she go willingly into the investigations? Was she like...
0: Did they approach her? Did she... By the time they got in touch with her, she'd already been doing a lot of experiments with a man... A, French investigator called Charles Richet Mm. and it was actually Charles Richet carried out these various again kind of what they called experiments bringing their their scientific method to bear and the Sidgwick's Eleanor and, and Henry Sidgwick had attended some of the trials with Richet, and had read a lot of his reports, and actually they were like, we think there's something in this.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, but we've, they want we've... to believe they're so kind, those two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Such kindly fellows. And, and they thought, right, let's, let's get her to Cambridge, and we can do some trials of our own, and, yeah. and maybe this is the one where we're going to you know, find the proof that we need. Her seances appear to feature such astonishing feats as the appearance of mysterious objects, strange movements in the room, Mm -hmm. musical instruments playing by themselves, and the levitation of tables, and of course the classic ectoplasm that we Classic. now so no much know so much about. <laughs> so it was the Cidrix who invited her to stay at Leckhampton. I don't know what Myers thought, presumably he was on board. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, Myers, we've just invited this <laughs> Italian psychic <laughs> to stay at your house.
2: He said, like, brilliant, Great. more women does she write poetry? <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it was a gruelling schedule that they put in place for Palladino between the 1st of August and the 12th of September 1894 19 seances were held Mm. each lasting several hours at a time so they really kind of got their money's worth if you like Mm. sorry Katie so to go back to your question I think they went reasonably willingly I mean they couldn't really be forced to do it but I think the thing was that for them their reputations were at stake Mm. And I suspect they probably all thought we're good enough to these Mm. idiots. We can pull the wool over their eyes. You're like getting a call from
2: Offset. You're like you don't really get a (laughs) choice, but you have to go through
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mysterious instruments in the room. (laughs) So the the seances were attended by Myers, by the Sidgwick's, Gurney, various other intellectuals of the time, other interested parties would attend. There are archives at Cambridge University Library which have got all kinds of detailed notes on the Leckhampton seances, squirrelled away in lots of archive boxes. So some notes from the first Mm. seance that was held. They sat at a table, a -hmm. round table was usually the custom. Frederick Myers lay under the table so he could observe her legs and feet. Right? Oh. Did it have to be him?
2: Oh, no. <laughs> Myers
0: insisted that he should <laughs> fulfil that role. And they, the idea was that they would join hands to form a, an unbroken circle. Once the seance began, Palladino began to laugh and her eyes rolled back in her head. Mm-hmm. This was the sign that John King, the spirit guide, had entered the room and was now with them. During the seance, the table began to rise and yeah. attendees reported feeling their chairs move beneath them. Mrs. Sidgwick reported she could feel a hand stroking her face.
2: <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> That's why you had to sit them uh, And you several too. of the group
0: <laughs> exclaimed that they could see white hands appearing at the table. That was just the first seance, so the experiments progressed and each time they would place further restraints on Usapia Palladino to try and eliminate any possibilities of sleight of hand, any, you know, kicking to make noises or starting to yeah, kick yeah, to yeah. move things around. But um,
1: if Myers is under the table, He must have seen it rise. Well, here's an interesting story about Myers. (laughs) Did he only write up his research in couplets?
0: (laughs) One of the sciences was attended by the Master of Trinity College of the time, Joseph J. Thompson, Mm -hmm. a serious-sounding man. Rational.
2: And he suggests
0: Myers was particularly keen for the ghostly activity to be recorded or for, you know, for the reports to state that ghostly goings-on had happened. And he talks about an incident where they all had their hands, each was holding the next person's hand, to make the unbroken circle. At a side table, away from the main table, a melon was placed. <laughs> And the idea was if the melon were to be transported elsewhere in the room, yeah. that would prove that there was spiritual activity <laughs> oh in the room. I don't know why they picked a melon. <laughs> I guess it's quite. It's beef, quite heavy. So it's quite. Yeah, yeah it's, but not also that, a it's not it much. Because it's you could
1: just,
0: just. Yeah, yeah. if, if yeah. an orange was just floating around, that's not very impressive, is it? That's a melon. So. <laughs> also. it so, must
2: have been quite exotic, yeah. Yeah. Melon. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, these are rich people. Okay. Why not? Pineapple. <laughs> Why not waste yeah. a melon at a yeah. seance, they should not, pine- <laughs> not a pineapple, that's a step too far. <laughs> yeah, also very spiky, you don't want a pineapple yes, flying dangerous. around a, a room recklessly. <laughs> so they all linked their hands at the table, including, of course, Usapia, all linked their hands to keep the circuit complete. But it wasn't long before Myers leapt up, <laughs> <laughs> shouting that he'd been, he'd been hit in the ribs by an unseen force. Um, and for a moment, in the dark candlelight of the room, the circle was broken. Uh-huh. By the time the hullabaloo died down, the melon was in Eusebius' lap. <laughs> oh. So I don't really—it's pretty. <laughs> Well, so of course Sir Joseph Jade Thompson, yeah. he's like, Well, she's just grabbed that melon. <laughs> ready, <laughs> ready to like fling it somewhere. <laughs> she's done the first step, got the melon to yeah. her lap, and the next stage is going oh. to be move the melon. Kicked him in the ribs. Somewhere
1: else. <laughs> Caused a hoo. Well the, the melon. suggestion
0: is he didn't get kicked in the ribs at all. He just yeah. wanted to help her with oh, um, getting the melon away from the side table. But who knows? I was going to
2: ask if she had assistance and stuff, but maybe she didn't need to if he was on board. You
0: I know, think... I, I Did think, she would yeah, a maid
2: with her or anyone who could be mm-hmm. scurrying? Like.
0: A lot of them did have assistance, but I don't think that Rusapia did for mm. these trials. But if you think... It's a lot of different factors which would go into being able to do this. It's, it's creating an environment which seems, makes these things seem possible. It's years of sleight of hand training, not just sticking a bit of <laughs> cheesecloth into your mouth. I'm not sure. I it was takes impressed you. with that. In their own setups they would have had elaborate, you know, bits of pulleys and strings yeah. and things that no, they could your, use. Your the foot would pull on a bit of a string which would do something somewhere else in the room. It was a kind of a complex setup. Like a uh, magician's with tricks, it was it was that kind of a setup. So in that I think they were very clever people. Oh, and they were very talented people. Trip. Or it was all true, <laughs> perhaps. Well, let me tell you.
2: <laughs> more dreams are about to be crushed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> as the experiments went on, it became more and more evident that she was, as they called it, a humbug. Oh no! Uh, and in particular, the Sidgwicks um, and Myers were they, were, they had really wanted, they, they were like, she's not a humbug. That's what they mm. called a fraudster. She's not a humbug this time, it's, it's the real thing. For a long time, uh, Sidgwick said that, you know, oh, well, even if she's bringing elements of stagecraft to the seances, she still, there's something real, there's something mm. genuine in amongst that and she's, like, hamming it up for effect.
2: Yeah. But
0: by the end of the seances, too many times it had been proven that she was doing tricks or a
1: yeah.
0: uh, mysterious ectoplasm fleshy mm-hmm. thing that appeared was proved to be uh, uh, animal lung tissue at one point. I thought we won't make any <laughs> <laughs> animal lung tissue in the room. So, so they gradually kind of began to uncover the things that were going on to let her create this amazing illusion of spiritualism.
1: I would have, she could have just said that if it's watched, it can't happen. Yeah, <laughs> you know,
2: like. I mean, actually. Doesn't. So that's what Rosie's going to do if anyone asks.
1: <laughs> that's not
0: that's not too absurd because I read it, it didn't have much to do with Cambridge, so I didn't bring it into the conversation today. But I read a little bit of a book by uh, Ina Twig, mm. who was a 20th century medium, and she makes exactly that point. She says, "Well." It's not there as a when you know we're not performing monkeys. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not uh, something. Turns out they were performing monkeys. <laughs> it's, it's not something that you can test in the in these scientific ways because it's it's not a it's not a rational thing that happens. Yeah, it's it's the whims of the spirits. Yeah, it may happen, it may not happen. We can't command the spirits to
1: appear mm. on de, you know. But you could on also demand. argue that like the I mean, I'm not trying to. But you could say that if it's not just that you can't make it happen but you could say that actually using your rational brain actually like chops off the opportunity for the spirits to come in that Mm. actually only in the unbroken circle this is what i did in my attic (laughs) the unbroken circle allows with no kind of measurements or melons Mm. allows. get those
0: melons out of here Um, I've just remembered I've got this slide to show you as well. This is a table flying into the air, apparently. And some serious-looking men observing the table. Um, But she was, you know, kicking things or flinging things or...
2: Yeah. How did it end for her? Uh,
0: Her reputation was severely damaged because they wrote up their reports and these were published in... They had a, a journal called Proceedings. And they would publish in a number of other places as well. They're still going, the mm. Society of Psychical Research, and they still publish a lot and they still look into cases. But her reputation was quite severely damaged after this. I mean, I know she was a fraudster. <laughs> Humbug. <laughs> Humbug. But I think if you think about it as a form of entertainment, what they mm. like, what they were doing was amazing. To yeah. be able to create the, create the illusion of voices in the room and things <coughs> moving around and things kicking you or you know all these kind of strange things that was in itself a, a talent I think yeah. and a skill to yeah. be able to do that it was just that adding the extra layer of claiming that that was yeah a spiritual experience was uh, kind of where they went where they got debunked <laughs> really yeah. if you like and actually, there was... So this was end of the, end of the um, Victorian era, so late 1800s. There was a really big rise in spiritualism again around the time of the First World War. And I mm. think, again, that ties into the idea that people needed a belief in something.
1: Yeah. Which is
0: really sad. Which is point very point. sad. I should have thought of a happy note <laughs> <laughs> to end it um, on. What oh. are the lessons
1: of today? I, well, I think... I don't think it's unhappy... I think it's like if it if it brings a comfort. If it brings mm. a comfort, and like that you the, you can sense people around you. Mm. I don't think that I don't think you need this.
2: Or <laughs> well, if you like, if you're a society lady on a hen and you're in Rosie's attic. I mean, <laughs> that's, we, that's better than being on a punt wearing a pink we... T-shirt. So. Maybe we
0: need a new career of Madame Bovril in her Hindu <laughs> <Hendo, her laughs> ectoplasm, available for all Hindus. <laughs> <laughs> all
2: facties, so, uh, yeah. we're not fussy, but they're still
0: they're still going. They're still um, their headquarters are in Kensington in London. They still publish a lot of the most famous cases in the. 20th century moved away from mediums and it was investigating poltergeist and haunted houses did they
1: do the film poltergeist the program poltergeist (laughs) in the 80s um (laughs) ghost watch
0: no that was sarah green (laughs) (laughs) she wasn't a member So yes, I mean, as I say, there's, that's a tiny, tiny snapshot of the huge amounts of different cases and work that the Society of Psychical Research have, have carried out over the years. We might look at some of the more local cases in future episodes. I think Borley Rectory needs an investigation by... An unqualified, uh, (laughs) an unqualified podcaster, Um, and there's also um, they also investigated is actually still alive um, Matthew Manning, who was um, a schoolboy in Linton, who also reported poltergeist activity. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of a local case as well. So we might have a look at those.
1: And I bet there are some that have not
2: been debunked.
0: Probably.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I must, I can't, of course, I can't rule them, them out. I've not come across any, <laughs> but no, of course. I mean, they've, they've studied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, yeah. of cases and I have looked at a tiny, like a tiny snapshot of, of some of those. Well, I guess we'll stop there in that case. Thank you so much for coming. I hope you enjoyed it. It was, as I always say, an irreverent take on, uh, <laughs> on history. But um, it's it's been good fun. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to these guys.